0: Welcome to Washington execs Givers of GovCon podcast series, where we highlight the philanthropic efforts within the government contracting community and speak to the leaders spearheading them. Over the next weeks, you'll hear us talk with givers of all kinds, as we dig deeper into how and why they're giving back. So thanks for tuning in and enjoy this next episode of Givers of GovCon. Welcome back to Gamers of GovCon. I'm Amanda Ziede with Washington Exec, and joining me today is Tim Solms. He's the General Manager of Government Solutions at Dun & Bradstreet. Thanks for being here, Tim.
1: Thanks, Amanda, I appreciate the invitation.
0: Before we get into the organization and the cause that you're currently supporting, I wanted to talk a bit about your background and why this cause was particularly important to you from even before you entered the government contracting space. So tell us a bit about your background in the military.
1: I grew up as a military kid, so I am not from anywhere. If I told you how many times I'd moved, you wouldn't believe me, so I won't say it, but it's a lot. And having lived everywhere, your hometown becomes more a group of people than it does a geography. I joined the Army when I was 17, stayed in the Reserves through college, and then had my own career in the military. So that was not only where I was from, but that's what I was doing for my career. I was an attack pilot, I flew Apaches in the Army, it was a lot of fun, I thought I was good at it, and I had just come back from a deployment. This was, gosh, this was in 2000, and the phone rang, and it was an opportunity to go do something completely different. I very unwisely said, hey, thanks so much, not interested. And the person on the other end was smarter than me, and certainly more gracious than I was. I said, you know what? I'm going to give you three days to think about it. I'm going to call you back. It's the last time you're going to call. And I thought long and hard about it. And I thought, why not? Why don't I just go take a look and see? So without a whole lot of planning or forethought, I wound up kind of taking a risky move and jumping in to this thing called federal or government or public sector technology. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now, that was August of 2000. And that was just before 9-11, so September 2001. When that occurred, the phone started ringing, asking me to come back into the military. And honestly, it was very hard because that had been not only my, my community and my hometown, but that was, all, that was a lot of part of my having done jobs and worked for commanders and built a reputation. When those calls came, I was pulled a little bit. I had young children at the time. And what I thought was, hey, the way I can best serve my country is to just keep doing what I'm doing and supporting in the world of public sector technology. And that's what I've done. Try to find other ways to give back both collectively from organization and individually.
0: Wonderful. So talk to me a bit about Veterans Airlift Command and how you became involved with that organization, what they do and why it's so important to you.
1: Well, i would back up a little bit first, Amanda. Did you get older and more exposure in this community you realize a couple of things you realize one it's very much a team sport and you'll hear that from people that have been at this for a while whether you're with competitive companies or whether you have taken deals from other people before it is very much a team sport. And that means that we individually have an obligation to participate in this community, the community around the business, doing things like GovExec and other organizations where it's a little bit of pay to play. Sure. But there's also an opportunity to engage in that community and build those relationships. Our organizations who ask for money in exchange for goods and services from the government, we organizationally have an obligation to give back. I spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill. It's always a little bit of a minefield because it's not a place that's really comfortable for me, but it's part of the business. And if i remember ever meeting with a principal in Congress or in the Senate, more often than not, I will get asked, hey, before we start talking about policy or budget or what it is that you all do, how do you give back? How does your company give back to this community that you're looking to ask for more? That's it's a good question. And it takes time and thought to be able to put around that. And then you have to say, OK, yeah, we're in this unique vertical public sector. How do we get the larger company and our leadership and our board to understand the importance of our district? Right. So that's the first piece. Just so happens if we champion the USO Metro, very direct and giving to the world of the Department of Defense and the families. And the service members. It also is an opportunity for us to join in, meaning we can do a whole lot more if a lot of companies are chipping in and joining in and providing labor and assistance. So somebody like USO Metro has the ability not just to get money from Dun Bradstreet or Tim Solms, but to be able to say, hey, we've been able to pull five or six companies in for a project or an initiative, and there's a way to collectively support them. That's really what I think of from a community and from an organizational perspective. And then we get to the individual piece where how do we give back individually? And for me, again, the military taught me to fly. I got an exceptional flight training, and I had logged thousands of hours in the military. But again, flying a two-seat attack helicopter, and it just so happens that flying is a personal passion of mine. It's something I enjoy doing, and it sure is nice to be able to do it and bring my family along and not get shot at at the same time. Shortly after 9-11, a gentleman named Walter Frank, he reached out and he had started this group called Veterans Airlift Command. And he's very interesting and a very compelling story. He was wounded in Vietnam. And what he experienced was, there you are, you're part of an organization, you're part of a culture, a team, your accountability is to the other people around you. Yes, you're wearing the uniform of the United States. Yes, you're the operational arm of policy but it's the accountability inside the organization that you have that is the most impactful to you day in and day out. And what he said was, you get injured and it's gone. You're pulled out, you're in a hospital, you're in a rehab facility, you still have your rank, you're still in the military, but everything about that support structure is gone. And he started Veterans Airlift Command as a way to provide services to people in those unique situations. To them, their family members, And it's expanded. It's not all former military pilots like me, but it's a lot of people that see a need or have a desire to give back specifically to that community. So military, family members, veterans, and typical flights. You have a soldier or a Marine or an airman who's been injured, and they have a couple of days they're off. And I've heard this more often than once. They got a four-day pass, and here it is, Labor Day weekend for me right now, and I'm thinking four-day pass, I've heard the last thing they want to do is go to the airport and get the sad-eyed, two-handed handshake thanking them for their service, when all they want to do is just get home, have a couple of days with their family and get back. I've flown Medal of Honor recipients from Vietnam going to speak at events, people going to family events that are focused on wounded warriors and recovery. We've flown what we call the gold star families those who have lost a family member in combat going to events i've flown people back and forth for treatment just got a request yesterday to fly a person who's down in virginia to go have a new prosthetic device fitted and this is somebody who because of their amputation has not been able to use a prosthetic so far and because they were amputated too high and this was a special opportunity for them to get fitted for that and hopefully we will be able to participate and that's the kind of things that we're doing day in and day out at veterans air lift command
0: so having sat quite literally in the seats of the women and men that you're serving with Veterans Airlift Command, what does it mean for you to be involved in an organization that helps service members this way? And do you ever think about how this would have benefited you while you were in service?
1: Well, yeah. unfortunately, I never needed it. And that's one of the things that I usually tell these men and women that I'm flying First of all, I love being around soldiers. Again, that's how I grew up. That was my whole life. And there's a familiarity there that's fun for me. And what I will tell you that I've noticed is for them, it's nice to be treated like a soldier, a sailor, an airman, a Marine, Coast Guardsman, Space Force person. It's nice. You'll typically say, what happened to you? Yeah, but you won't do that again. I full spectrum. I usually will pack a cooler beer and some snacks. And it goes from, hey, do you want to sit up front and fly with me? Or do you want to sit in the back and drink a beer? Or do you want to sit in the back with a pillow and just get some sleep? You get the full spectrum, but it's always rewarding because, first of all, it's free. They don't have to worry about engaging. They don't have to worry about giving back, paying, compensating. What they get to do is to say, there's somebody here that's going to get me or my family or the people I care about to where they need to be, and we don't have to worry about it. And it's nice. It's interesting when you're flying for veterans airlift Command. when you file your flight plan, you change the call sign of your plane and your plane is now referred to as hero flight. That's the FAA recognition for VAC. Hmm. And it's great when you're flying and using that hero flight and then your aircraft identification just to hear controllers and, Ground controllers and weather people just, hey, tell the person you're flying, thank you so much. That's meaningful for them. And when they have the headset on and they're listening and they hear it, you get a wink and a smile. And that seems to be meaningful. So for me, it pushes all the buttons of give back for me. It's comfortable. I've been where they've been, but not exactly. And I always tell them, like, hey, I'm so sorry that you have to have this flight, but we're going to make this easy. Because nobody in that situation would have chosen to leave their unit, to leave their organization, to leave the fight, to leave the mission, to have to go recover.
0: Right. So. You've probably met some really amazing people and heard some pretty incredible stories having flown one-on-one service members. It's an experience I didn't know was happening, so that's really
1: unique. It's funny, if you don't mind me sharing a story, I picked up a wounded Marine who was going to a wedding and the wedding was up in the mountains, North Carolina. I picked him up somewhere in Pennsylvania. This guy had been at force 3 So he was in the special operations side of the Marine Corps. He had taken a round right through the helmet. So came through the front of his helmet, through his head and out the back, right behind his left ear. And as we're sitting there, he's like, you going to ask me? And I said, yes, Sergeant, what the hell happened to you? And he goes, I got shot in the head. And he told the story. He said, it took me a long time to realize what was going on because I was still in the fight and it took my chain of command to say, hey, you've been wounded, let me take you down. Obviously, they were able to evacuate him and he went through all kinds of reconstructive surgery and rehabilitation. And the thing that really struck me the most, what he told me was I wasn't supposed to be able to walk again. I wasn't supposed to be able to talk again. I can and I'm grateful. He said, my whole life up to this point had been I'm an athlete. I'm a Marine. I'm forced recon. He goes, I had relied on my body. That's not there anymore, and I know it won't be. He said, probably physically, I'm as good as I'm going to get right now, and it will decline as I age. He said, now I have to rely upon my mind and my skills. And that attitude of what's next, not looking backwards, but looking forwards, it just made me so grateful that I was able to give back, but also just really grateful that we're in this world of supporting the military, the federal government, the public sector, and we get to do things to help them stay focused on their mission.
0: It's so interesting you bring that up. We spoke to another organization supporting a cause for warriors, and I don't think we really understand or think about the day-to-day challenges or, or just thought processes that service members, whether they're back home or wounded or still in service, go through. If it's not in the news or we're not in an act of war, whether it isn't an event happening. So it's an interesting thing, what you said, to think of now he's focusing on his mind and using different tools and skills other than what he was so used to using. That's very interesting. Well, it's
1: nice to see that as communities, we've stepped up to provide opportunities that maybe weren't there in the past. To have been at war for over 20 years, it can be fatiguing as a country as well. And it makes me proud in the U.S. and with our coalition partners how there's continue to be support for those that are out on the operational end of the spectrum, and can continue to support them. And companies willing to train, invest, support those military members as they're coming back and trying to figure out what's next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm curious also if you can walk me through the involvement process with Veterans Airlift Command. What is it like to receive a call or a request to fly a veteran or a service member? What is that like?
1: Yeah, we keep them posted where we are from a location perspective. And you also let them know, hey, my aircraft's going to be down from maintenance for the next two weeks, as much as possible. And here's the interesting thing, because I had flown for organizations like Angel Flight, where there's thousands of pilots. When you kind of pick and choose opportunities. And I remember something that popped up. I get an email and a text and something that popped up and I was like, oh, I can't do that one. And I just didn't respond. And I got a call within about two hours. They said, hey, are you able to do it? And I said, oh, no. And the response I got was, hey, just so you know, there aren't 200 people looking at these. There are 10 people looking at this. And so let us know. That really hit me. I'm like, oh, when I signed up and obligated my time and resources to do this, I also have to stay engaged and not just treat it as an afterthought. Usually there's a lot of flexibility. A picked up between this time and this time, and then looking for a return flight. There's a former Medal of Honor winner who just moved, he and his wife just moved from the Pacific Northwest to Texas, and Veterans Airlift Command picked them up. And again, the person who flew them had an aircraft that was capable of non-stop from Seattle to Texas and that's great. Not everybody can do those kind of missions. So they'll say, hey, if you need to break this up, let us know. But typically, there's a little bit of background on the person, their situation, what happened to them, where they're going. It could tell you they're traveling with a service dog. We see that quite a bit. Or they're traveling with a family member. This is how much luggage. They need to bring a collapsible wheelchair. This is how capable they are for getting in and out of an aircraft. I can tell you that One of the things that I've learned if you're dealing with people with traumatic brain injury or we see a lot, especially out of Afghanistan, where there's a significant generation of cancer for people who are stationed there, and they're also at a very young age, so it's not something you expect. But if I'm flying any of those people, they're very susceptible to smells, right? So I try to make sure the aircraft's super clean and that there's nothing and there's no you know i'm not sitting there with a starting sandwich or something like that and i try to keep those things neutral so they don't have to ask halfway through a flight like hey i don't know what deodorant you're wearing but it's killing me you know but again you just pick that up over time what the different susceptibilities are or what some of the things are you can do to help make people more comfortable
0: you know considering during the pandemic especially the beginning of the pandemic when flights were not really going every which way in the country, and we weren't really supposed to be flying. Were there veterans and service members looking looking for flights more to get to certain treatments or events or anything? Absolutely,
1: because their treatment didn't stop. We heard in the public, hey, there's the essential versus non-essential medical care. Well, for wounded we warriors, it's all essential, and it's not optional. Remember, still in the military, place of duty is to be in recovery, for me, I'm always tracking my hours. On an average year, I was flying somewhere between about 90 and 110 hours. In the last year, I flew close to 400 hours. Wow. I mean, in my own personal travel, but certainly with an increase of requirements on the veterans who just couldn't or wouldn't get on a commercial flight to get to where they needed to be. And think about that because of what was going on medically, because of what was going on across the world family members much more challenged to be able to get there and spend time with somebody who's in isolation or who's in physical therapy. So services like this became even more important and we had to go above and beyond to make sure that we were reducing everything we could from a risk profile in supporting the flights.
0: It's very interesting to think about. It just popped in my head and I was like, well, they've, they've had to still continue with their lives as well. So I can't imagine just because flights were down that their treatments and needs were stopped as well. So,
1: Well, and the interesting thing, we just saw the military leave Afghanistan, right? Mm-hmm. So the end to the longest war in the history of our country. But the recovery part will go on for another 20 or 30 or 40 years. There's a lagging effect and the hope is that we as a country, or even with our coalition partners, don't lose focus on how important it is to look out for, give back to, and take care of those who have borne the brunt of the U.S. policy abroad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, is there a need for more pilots, for more volunteers? Well, I
1: don't want to speak for Veterans Airlift Command. They do an extremely good job doing that. The website is vac.org, or you can just do a web search for Veterans Airlift Command. They take donations. They have people on the ground that drive people where they need to be. When you land, they have someone there to pick them up. They try to provide any service that's required, so there's no burden on the people that we're trying to support.
0: Mm -hmm. And as far as your engagement, do you anticipate continuing your involvement and remaining engaged in this cause for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, I love to fly.
1: I feel like it's a real gift. Every time I go fly, I remember the military trained me to do this. This was a gift. This is something that I get to enjoy. So for as long as I can, when I can't, I'll find other ways to give back. I believe we have an obligation to do so regardless of where we are in our careers. I feel very fortunate that this world of public sector raised me, gave me a profession, and then has given me a second profession in the technology side, and I don't take that lightly.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing these personal stories with us, and of course, for all the work that you're doing for our veterans and service members. So thanks for joining me today. really appreciate it.
1: You bet, Amanda. Thank you.